And we're turning this morning in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 15 right through to verse 22. If you have your Bible there, follow the reading. The words will come up on the screen for those that are worshipping online. But we would encourage you, as we've said before, get the copy of your own Bible and turn to the place and um, look it up. And you'll not only hear the words, but you'll see them. And we believe that that will help and be a great aid to memorization. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Let's hear the word of God. Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, we are continuing our expository ser series, our sermons in the book of Colossians. I want to direct your attention to Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And my theme today is entitled, The Preeminence of Christ in His Creative Power. Now two weeks ago, I told you that first, our Colossians, uh, Verses 1 to 15 to 22 is one of the most important, most profound, fullest descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ and his person and work found anywhere in the whole of the Bible. I informed you then that this passage is worthy of very careful exegetical study. This is a passage to make us think. These verses form a wonderful Christological confession of our Lord Jesus Christ and his person and work. They were penned by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he combated insipid early Gnosticism that was attacking the heart and soul of the church at Colossae. There's a connection between Paul's prayer for this church, and we've studied the prayer, verses 9 through to 14, and you've got to think of what he prayed for and those various points, and I not reiterate them. You can read them for yourself. And now what he's proclaiming to this church. You see, the Apostle Paul, we get asked, Paul, what are you talking about? Speak plainly. Speak clearly. 
Because the Apostle Paul is proclaiming the greatness of Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming that Jesus Christ is not only magnificent in his person, but he's proclaiming the greatness of Jesus Christ, that he's preeminent in his creative power and in his redemptive work. You see, if Jesus Christ stands absolutely preeminent as the great creator and as redeemer, then he has no problem answering the prayers of his people. And these verses are affirming, I believe, the absolute sufficiency of Jesus Christ in light of who he is and light of what he has done. Now, two weeks ago, I did set forth what I believe uh, Colossians 1 verse 15 teaches. We thought of the person who is addressed, who is the image of the invisible God, linking it back to verse 14, his dear son, the son of his love. Then we looked at the primacy that is announced the firstborn of every creature. And we thought of firstborn not in relation to time, but in primacy. And we clothed with the purpose that is assumed. That there's a warning spirit here. Here's the acid test for, for every heresy, every error, every abuse, every offense, every act of ungodliness. And it's this. Who is Jesus Christ in his personal work? Whose son is he? And that's the test. And that's what Paul is doing here. There's a worshiping spirit. And we ask you not to miss the awe, the wonder, and the adoration that's here. Because I believe that a true theology of Christ should always lead to praise. Should lead to true worship. Now today we're moving on. We're coming to verses 16 and 17. We're thinking of the theme, the preeminence of Christ in his creative power. Now I want you to think with me. You've got to think biblically here. What you have here in these verses is an inspired portrait of the preeminence of Christ in creation. Now, three things. The preeminence of Christ as creator. Look at the text. It says in verse 16, For by him were all things created. I will pause there. Paul is teaching that Jesus Christ is our creator God. Stop and think. The Apostle Paul has just taught us who Jesus Christ is, that Jesus Christ is God. And now as further proof, he's ascribing the work of creation to Jesus Christ. Here's one of the works that he has done. Jesus Christ made the universe we live in. He made the worlds. Now you're maybe thinking, well, what about Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And how did God do that? He did it by his word. And God said. And who is the word of God? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Over there in John chapter 1, we read the words in Verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Listen to verse 3. John 1 verse 3, all things were made by him. John affirms it. And without him was not anything made that was made. See, God the Father did this work of creation through God the Son. Here's the Apostle Paul, a Jew, who is monotheistic. 
who believes in one God, ascribing the whole work of creation to Jesus Christ. Two different persons doing the same work. How could that be? Well, there's only one answer. These two persons, the Father and the Son, are coexistent, co-equal, and co-eternal in the very essence of their nature, in the very essence of their being. Young people, boys and girls, there's a story told about a wee fella that was out in a forest. It was a beautiful day, and the mummy and him's having a picnic. She has picked him up from school, and there's a few clouds, and the sun is shining. And the wee boy asked his mummy this question. And he said, Mummy, is God up there? And she said, of course, son. God lives up there. You know how innocent children are. You know how children think. And this is what the wee boy said. Well, I wish he would put his face out so I could see him. See, remember, he's the invisible God. But he has been made visible, boys and girls. He has put his face out. Maybe the wee fellow was thinking of the show, the Teletubbies, the face that comes out in the cloud. But God has put his face out in the permanent work of his son, Jesus Christ. And we are indeed monotheistic. We believe in one God, one true and living God. But that one God subsists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we don't worship three gods. We only worship one God. But that one God subsists in three persons. And they're all co-equal. They're co-eternal and they coexist. And they're the same essence. Have you ever went to Tullymore? Down in County Down. I'm told that in Tullymore Forest there's a big stone, a boulder. I think I have walked past it before, and I do remember vaguely. And it says on the big stone, stop. Look around you. Praise the name of him who made it all. See, who made it all? Here's the answer. For by him were all things created. That's Jesus Christ. Now, you see, what Paul wants us to do is pause. He wants us to stop and think. See, I believe these, thing, these words were written to be understood, written to be taken into our hearts and minds, written to be meditated upon. Remember, they were first century Christians. They're saved out of a life of paganism. Maybe not all highly educated. Um, definitely didn't have years of spiritual knowledge and experience in their walk with God and in the Christian life. And yet the Apostle Paul wanted them to receive and grasp these words so that the words would mold and shape their lives. In other words, in all that they would believe, that that would impact upon how they would behave. It's not exactly what Paul's mind was when he quoted Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And remember what he says there in Romans 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see the problem with most of us, it's the problem of the heart. It's so easy to blame the preacher. He's such a poor communicator. I'm always conscious of that. Blame the wording, oh, it's so difficult. Blame your lack of high Q, your education. And I certainly have nothing to boast of in that field. But the chief problem is really the problem of the heart. Believing if this is true. You see, you heard me referring to the young people, listening to Bible stories, 
And that's the problem with many young people growing up listening to the Bible stories, whether it's the story of Noah and the ark, the story of Jonah and the whale, or some of the miracles of Christ. They're they're listening to them as a story and saying, it's a nice story, but is it really true? See, see, if it's true, then that makes a difference. But if it's a fable, or if it's a make-believe story, then, well, you don't have to take it seriously. And, And you see, that's what I'm saying today. I would urge you to pray now in your heart and pray this, Lord, teach me. Lord, help me to grasp this. Lord, show me this. Reveal your son to me, who he is really. Show me that he's my creator God. See, the apostle Paul was full of it. He received and embraced this truth and he was a loving servant and follower of Jesus Christ. There was a big temptation, a big trap for the uh, people at Colossae. The false teachers claimed to have special knowledge. They ignored and denied that Jesus Christ is the true and real creator. They thought he was just a created being. Just one of the angels, just one of the emanations that come from God. They argued, he's not God. He doesn't possess deity. He's not really God's dear son. Now here's the apostle Paul. And he's proving the opposite. Jesus Christ is God's dear son. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the creator. He's not a created being. He's not a semi-divine being. He's God, our creator. He's the one who created the whole of the universe. See, that's what he wants us to get across. The preeminence of Jesus Christ as our great creator. Now, when did he create? The Bible tells us in the beginning. See, I believe this morning in a young earth, at least of that in common with Edwin Putz. I don't believe in an earth that's millions of years old. If you go down to the Giant's Causeway to the visitor center, and I haven't been in a long time, do you know that that center promotes evolution? I suppose in line with many other um, institutions. But there is a tiny section in the Giants Causeway Visitor Center that I believe refers to creation. Because it does say and mentions that there's those who believe in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I remember about 10 or 12 years ago, there was a great outcry. Certain atheists were up in arms, and they were arguing that the national trust have a reference to creation in the visitor center. In fact, I think it was ITV did a poll. And there was a website running. And the website was asking, do you agree that this text of scripture is in the visitor center or disagree? And then a few days, there was 47% had agreed. And of course, they quickly pulled the website and pulled the poll down. You see... Many don't like this truth. They don't like being reminded of their creator. Why do atheists get all worked up and hot under the collar when even a text of scripture is displayed? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's the simple answer. They don't like to think about God. They they don't like to remember that they're dependent on him and one day they're accountable to him. 
They don't like learning that they're not just an animal, that they're not just a product of chance, that they haven't come from the apes. No, they, they don't like learning that they're created in God's image. And even though that image has fallen and marred by sin, they want to suppress that knowledge. They, they want to hide that knowledge. So they reject this teaching of the young earth. I believe the earth is not any more than six to 10,000 years old. And that, of course, is in line with the teaching of Answers in Genesis and uh, Ken Ham and those that stand with him. So when did he create? In the beginning. When was the beginning? 6,000 years ago. Think of the way he created. If you look at the words, it says, For by him are all things created. Underline the word created. And it's mentioned again in the verse. It says at the bottom of the verse, All things were created by him and for him. So it's used twice here. The word created means out of nothing. Now, now you think of this, young people. No existing material. How do you make something out of nothing? Suppose I say to you, I want you to make me a watch. One that works. Suppose I say to you, I want you to make me a tree. Suppose I say, well, look, you know what? I fancy a rose this morning. But I'm not supplying you any existing material. I'm not giving you a seed for a rose. I'm not giving you a, a, a little a sapling of a tree to plant so that that could become a fruit-bearing tree. I'm not giving you the materials um, the metal and the mechanism and, the, and the, the hands and so on and so forth and the battery and the strap to make the watch. I'm giving you nothing and I'm asking you to make it. You would say, send for the men in the white coats. That, that man's lost it. How can you make something out of nothing? But that's what Jesus Christ did. He spoke and he said, let there be. And there was. Turn over there to uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Paul says this. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. If we tie that into Genesis... Ten times we read God said in Genesis, and God said. And how did he say? He spoke by his word. He spoke it into existence. The whole of the universe was spoken into existence. No existing materials. Uh, if you look back to Colossians chapter 1, it says, For by him are all things created. Remember, he is essentially and eternally God. He's an exact representation and revelation of who God is. And that's relevant. That's important. That's uh, something that we need to rediscover. Uh, because we're facing a, a resurgent of ancient heresy. And if we've not got a proper view of Jesus Christ and his personal work, an orthodox biblical view, then we've got no true Bible-believing Christianity. We've no true knowledge of God. We've no true gospel message. We've true, no true knowledge of heaven and all hell. No, no true knowledge of salvation. And you see, without a proper view of Jesus Christ, you're left adrift in a spiritual sea of deadness and darkness. Who is Jesus Christ? He's essentially and eternally Co-equal with the Father. He's not inferior to the Father. He's not subordinate to the Father. He is equal in essence. He is the entire self-expression of God. The self 
expression of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. He's not a creature. He's not a mere angel. He's the very essence of God. And that's how he's able to create something out of nothing. And we need to hold fast to the biblical doctrine of the essential deity of Jesus Christ. We need to also, out of necessity, hold fast to the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, not merely pay lip service to it. So here's the way he created. Very quickly, think of what he did create. Notice it says, For by him were all things created. All of creation, the whole of the universe, he made them all. All the creatures, all the creative energy and will that brought this created universe into being, it all resides in him. You see, it's all his creation. The act of creation rests and resides and depends on him. Think of the words, all things. Isn't that amazing? Stop and think about that. The one who's the savior of the sinner is the one who created all things. That's so important. You see, boys and girls and young people, Jesus Christ not only was born for you and not only lived a sinless life for you and not only loves you and not only died to save you, here's something that's wonderful. Jesus Christ made you. Do you think of that? We need to be reminded that Christ is our creator. It's very important that we grasp this. Notice the words that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. We'll pause there. Notice that are in heaven and that are on earth. The heavens, the aerial heaven, the sky, the spatial heavens, right out to the outer limits of interstellar space, wherever that is. Do you know that the Americans, I think in 1970, sent out a Voyager 1 and a Voyager 2 to explore the outer planets, to go to the very limits of the solar system? And that was 50 years ago. Does anybody know if they ever come back? Have they ever reported that they reached the outer limits? I don't think so. And then think of the third heaven, boys and girls, that's where God lives. You see, there was a man not so long ago who just died, and... Um, he raised a lot of money for the National Health, and we thank God for that, a man called Captain Tom, but he wrote a book. And you know in that book, he actually talks about this, that when the men landed on the moon, he was so disappointed because they didn't find God, and they didn't see God. But he was being silly because God doesn't live in the moon. The Bible doesn't say that. It says he, he, he lives in the third heavens, and that's beyond interstellar space. Notice the words here, visible and invisible. That we're given an insight now into the world of created spirits. The world of angels. Do you know what the Lord Jesus created the world of angels? He created the whole of the angelic world, including Lucifer. Think of the words here, thrones, dominions, principalities and powers. What does that mean? Well, is there a rank of angels? Remember, we could talk about the archangel, Gabriel and Michael. We could talk about seraphims and cherubims, creatures around God's throne. We could talk about ordinary angels. We could think about sinless angels, and then we could talk about 
sinful angels or, or fallen angels. And, and we don't need special revelation from any of these angels. Why? Because we've got Christ who is the entire self-expression of God. And God, through Christ, made them. He put them in their place. Oh, so often we get worried and so often we get fearful and upset. And there's a lot of talk now. Joe Biden's talking about alien life out there in interstellar space and aliens with intelligence outside our world. I want to tell you something. There's a mighty world out there that we don't see and we don't know nothing about. But no matter who they are, no matter what they're like, here's the answer. Jesus Christ made them all. They're all created by him. So don't fear and fret about aliens or intelligent life beyond this world. Because the Bible isn't wrong. Stand fast in the word of God. Hold to this instruction manual. The emphasis is that all things, all life was created by him. He's our great creator. Now that's really the first point. The second point is this. The preeminent of Christ is our claimer. Notice the words, if you go back to the text, and for by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him. And notice these words, and for him. Now, Now think of this. What's the goal of making the whole world and the universe? The goal is unto him. What is the purpose of the universe and the world? It's all for Christ. The vastness of the universe, the vastness of the worlds, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, the years, the months, the days, the angels, the men, every created thing. Why do they all exist? They exist for him. Oh, the big grassland, the blades of grass, the dust particle, every atom made for him belongs to him. This world wasn't just made for man's sake. Young people, it was made for God's dear son. That's why it's so vast. That's why it's so wonderful. That's why it's so huge. It's for God's son. Every star, planet, and galaxy belongs to him. All exists for him. Did you know that in 19... 68 on Christmas Eve, there was a spaceship went out of the Earth's atmosphere. There was a number of astronauts on it. I'm not sure if there was any British astronauts on it. There may have been. But the astronauts were filled with a sense of wonder and awe. And as they looked out of the spaceship window, young people, this is what they said. They quoted Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. And there's an awesome video of that. And I think it's on YouTube and you can search it out. And what were they saying? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, they were acknowledging it all belongs to him. It's all for him. And over there in the book of Revelation, we read in Revelation 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure, they are. And we're created. And you see, the devil knows this. And that's why he's sowing confusion. He wants eyes to turn away from Christ. He, he wants people to be filled with a hatred and, and an animosity toward him. Because he knows Christ can lay claim to this universe. He can say, I made it for me. He knows that Christ can say, it's my property. 
If he created you in his image, then he can claim you as his own. Why do you exist? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You exist to glorify God because he can lay claim to you. He demands your complete allegiance. He demands that you repent of your sin and receive him as your Lord and Savior. I wonder if you ever recognized your sin. I wonder if you ever repudiated that. Have you repented of it? Have you received Christ as he's offered in the gospel? As you bowed your head and say, Lord, you not only uh, were born for me and lived for me and loved me and died for me, but Lord, you made me. And you're not only a redeemer, but you're my creator. And Lord, I'm yours. See, the preeminence of Christ is claimer. It's all here. It's, it's for him. That's the goal of creation. One final thing. The preeminence of Christ is controller. Look at verse 17. He, he says, and he is before all things. Just in case anybody gets confused. He made all things. And then he tells us, and he is before all things. He existed before anything was made that could be made. He existed before creation itself. He predates the beginning. You see, if you think of the words, in the beginning was the word. That means he was before the beginning. Or in the beginning, God. That means that God was before the beginning. God, of course, is self-existent. And, and notice verse 17 again. And by him all things consist. Now that word consist is a very important word. Underline it. Write these two words beside it. It means held together. Who is the preserver, the upholder, and the controller of all things in the whole of the universe? The answer is Jesus Christ. He impresses upon his creation a cohesion, a solidarity, a, a willingness, a, a, a complexity of design so that it's not a chaos it's a cosmos, because the whole of matter is under his control. We live in a world of constant motion. The world is moving. Things are all moving around. Every particle, every atom's in motion. This very morning, the earth's spinning in its axis. It's constantly moving. You think of the sun, the moon, the stars. Think of the galaxy. The question is this. Who holds it all together? What stops it spinning out of control and becoming a vast chaos? What, what, what stops things smashing into each other? Here's the answer. By him all things consist. Scientists talk about the laws of nature. But if there's laws of nature, we're agreed with that. Who made those laws? Where did they come from? Do laws not speak of a lawgiver? And who's the lawgiver of nature? So stop and think. There's only one answer. And here's the answer. The Lord Jesus Christ. Every thing we know about the universe, the power of observation, the power of investigation, the sky, the sea, the seabed, space, it's all created by him and for him and it's all held together by him. The foolish scientists talk about the God particle. But they do so to disconnect and deny the living and the true God. And yet here we have it in the Bible. The power of creation. The purpose of creation. The, the pre-existent before creation. And his position in creation. He holds it all together. Oh, that we could see that. You see, let me finish this morning. 
If Jesus Christ is less than God, if Jesus Christ is not creator, not claimer, not the controller, then the whole notion of him as redeemer is a pipe dream. But he is God. He is creator. He is claimer. He is controller. And in order that he would come into the world as the world's redeemer. Some foolish people tell us the world's not created. They tell us the world is a product of evolutionary chance and process. That, that God's a God of people's imagination. But once you get the clearest, profoundest, deepest view of Jesus Christ and grasp who he is, he's my God, my creator, the one who can lay claim to me as his property, the one who controls me, then we'll bow the knee to him. Have you ever bowed the knee to him? Thinking of the profoundness of these verses. I'm only scratching the surface. I, I haven't the ability, I confess that educationally, to really open this up and be deep. I'm trying to be as simple so the young people and the children can understand, so I can understand. But let me finish. There's many people deny the Bible. Did you know, young people, that Adolf Hitler was an atheist and an evolutionist? And in 1925, he wrote a book called Mein Kampf. And he dedicated that book to the life and work of Charles Darwin. And he believed in an, an, uh, an inferior race. Uh, and he didn't like Jewish people. Uh, and he didn't like colored people who were black or brown or red. Uh, and he certainly didn't like gypsies. He probably wouldn't have liked Irish people either. But I want to tell you what he forgot. There only is one human race. For all creatures made in the image of God. And do you know this? That evolution and the belief of evolution led to the Holocaust. That's not a theory. That's a fact. Six million Jews. Because Hitler believed there was no God. And there was no sanctity of the human life. And that there was an inferior race that needed to be destroyed. What motivated him? It was evolution. What motivates abortion? What motivated the Marxist philosophy of the Irish Republican Army for 40 years in Northern Ireland that they murdered RUC members and UDR members and British soldiers and, and Protestant people along the, the border? What motivated that? It was this, that man is just an animal. And you live... And you eat, you drink and you die, and you go into a hole. And that's the end of you. And they had no thought of God, nor fear of him, or time for God. And it's all a lie of the devil. And you ask this, why is there so much atheism abroad today? Why is there so much evolution abroad? Why is there so much abortion and, and a push for an alternative lifestyle? Here's the answer. Because the message of creation has been forgotten. Spanished in the school, by and large. And in the church. And young people are growing up with no knowledge that God is creator and maker. And we need to get back to the biblical story of creation. And we need to bow to our creator. And recognize who he is. He is the power. Not only to make the whole universe. But he's the power this morning to make you a new creature in Christ. And I say this. 
book tells us here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. And all things have passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. Have you bowed the knee to him? My God, my creator, my claimer, my controller. And have you allowed him to make you a new creature in Christ? Because you've confessed your need of him. You've recognized that. May the Lord take these few thoughts as a thought of the preeminence of Christ as creator and bless them to us today.